0: Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high quality and tori attainment for you.
1: No different than a song. It has its form. And then yet, where you take that breath and that millisecond can change the whole thing. So once you begin to understand the power of a breath, or just that you wait that extra second to put that hand down on the bottom end, that changes. I mean, basically, you know, you're not making love to a metronome. If you do that, why even try?
0: Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about I'm On Fire, a track
2: from the compilation album VH1 Crossroads. Hey
3: little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire Oh, I'm on fire Tell me now, baby, is it good to you? And can, can
4: you can do, any do to hear the things of oh.
2: Hi, David. Hi, Eve. How are you doing? I'm okay. That's it? Just okay? Yeah. I feel like you're going to tell me something, so I'm a little nervous. Yeah. You know what's really sad? What? I'm not
0: going to hear you say boys for Paley again. I know. You had a hard time saying VH1 Crossroads. I can near Vishwan Crossroads. VH1. It, it wouldn't even wouldn't come, come out. out. Yeah. It didn't make
2: any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It still doesn't. I don't know what to make of this in-between world that we're inhabiting. We've got, I f- still feel like I have one foot in Pele, one foot not quite in Quiro Girl yet. Like, what is this? This is the Boys for Pele era. Uh, the B-sides, these are the BFP era tracks. Vague and undefined, just like
0: my life. It's like the songs that were released between the last B-side from Boys for Pele, which was Somewhere Over the Rainbow, everything on Hey Jupiter, those were the last B-sides. Everything that came after that, before Choir Girl. We call them Boys for Pele era tracks because it's still Boys for Pele era because we haven't hit Choir Girl era yet. So we'll be covering things like I'm on Fire is what we're covering today. We'll be covering Landslide, Blue Skies, Siren, things like that. Finn. Oh my gosh! Can't can't wait. Wait.
2: Well, you know what's weird is when the Boys for Pele season started. You were working through a breakup, and I managed to sort of make it through Pele, and now I'm working through a breakup. So (laughs) I'm ready to do it over again. Can we can we go back to horses and remaster it? If we were up to David, we'd be
0: just redoing every episode. (laughs) Once we're done, we'd just do it again. I mean, why not? If we could get through the entire catalog in some kind of timely fashion before we're retired,
2: then. I advocate for us doing it all over again. Yeah. I and mean, we're just going to loop back to the beginning. Like we're not going to know what else to do. Exactly. Well, we're going to take it easy. We're workhorses just like Tori. We always have to be doing something. Always. We got several irons in the fire at any <laughs> given moment.
0: Hello, everybody out there in Toryland. land. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. That's not a thing we say. What? Out there in (laughs) Toryland. We don't usually say that, but it just came to me. Yeah. Things just, you know, this is improv. We're just kind of shooting the breeze. This is act one. It says right here banter. Mm. What was your first
2: time hearing I'm on fire? This was, you know, back in classic Tory cover era, I think, when Mm -hmm. we talked about this on one of the last episodes where she had like a stable of go-to covers Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. she did well and often, Mm -hmm. and this is in that pile for sure for me, and in fact, is my second favorite Tory cover of all time. Really? Not that we rank such things. Really? What would be your first? Bad Company.
0: Oh, that's right. I Love it. That's a great cover. Yeah. But Bad Company was never officially recorded. That's true. So this was officially released. A live recording of it was officially released on the VH1 Crossroads compilation album and promo CD single. So that's why we're doing an episode on this, for example, and Not Bad Company. Yes. But it's still a cover. So it's still,
2: yeah, I feel justified in ranking it.
0: So that would mean then that this is your number one recorded cover. Correct. Wow. How about you? I always thought that it was so
2: sexy. The way she performs it, you know, I always thought it was very hot. It is. And I think this is a great performance of it too. Mm-hmm. It's sexy, but also really beautiful. I think mm-hmm. the piano is lovely. So I'm excited to get into it. It. me too i thought it was so hot and then when i heard the original there's
0: something about Tori's performance of it that that even gets that heat into the original for yeah. me yeah yeah i mean
2: the original is a pretty hot song let's be honest it is but yeah. this is one of those songs that Tori manages to own and make, yeah. make her own we'll find out from the superfan if, if that's a universal truth yeah
0: <laughs> i'm excited to be getting into these covers and we should have really done it for somewhere over the rainbow and we'll correct that in the second wrap-up episode before we get into choir girl We should have had a super fan of Judy Garland on then. Because what we'd like to do is have super fans on when Tori covers a song. we like to have a super fan from the original artist's fandom. And then we have a conversation about music and get to know a little bit about the other artist. Because I have to admit, I know nothing, nothing, fuck all,
2: about Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) What about you? Very little. I probably know the same handful of Bruce Springsteen songs that everyone else knows. I do know that he does very long shows he when he performs and changes up his set That's list, amazing. I think. That's great. So he's not unlike Tori in that
0: regard. That's incredible. Coming up, I thought Bruce Springsteen was cool or a little like my dad's generation, right? But, you know, the 10 CDs that you get at Columbia House, I swear to God. I don't even remember. Human Touch, I think is what it was called. It was the CD that was out when I was like in eighth grade or seventh grade. And it was the one that has 57 channels and nothing on. I was so into that song.
3: I bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills With a trunk load of hundred thousand dollar bills Man came by to hook up my cable TV We settled in for the night, my baby and me We switched round and round till half past dawn There was 57 57 channels and nothing on 57 channels and nothing on
0: 57 channels and nothing on
2: how have you been otherwise before uh, we get you know, really
0: into the thick of the fire?
2: I was feeling like this song is coming along at the perfect time for me to get back in touch with my sensuality. Really? But Are you feeling we, unsensual? I am, but then like right before we recorded, I fished around for a gummy worm, took a tug on my big gulp and was like, eh, "I'm fine. <laughs> I got it." <laughs> that was pretty sensual get in the way. Line, you,
5: boys. That, that <laughs> was pretty sensual. <laughs>
2: This is what we do on
0: our record. We're doing a recording retreat today. And this is what we do on our recording retreats. And a retreat to us means that we're
2: doing more than one episode in a day. Right? Yes. But going back to your actual question, I wasn't totally kidding. I could probably stand to get <laughs> reconnected with my sense of, I don't know, I need a little something. You need a little something? A little something, Yeah feel alive again couldn't hurt you need to feel your magdalene i think i do
5: yeah oh i however have
2: never been out of touch with my sensuality you're so lucky Thanks. how did you manage to do it is it because you were raised without any sort of christian guilt yeah i was raised catholic kind of sorta no i really was but i think you you know you've shared that by the time you were 12 you were like yeah Please. i rejected the catholic church you really didn't waste any time i, I don't. really
0: admire that thank you i don't have any time to waste in this life <laughs> should we get into this song i think we should Alright, great. Before we do any of that, should we talk about our guest on today's episode? Who do we got? We've got a super fan of The Boss. I want to find out why he's called The Boss. Mm. So I'm having a conversation with Ken Rosen today. He's a super fan of Bruce Springsteen, and he's going to give us the tea, the dirt. I want to find out what their fandom is like. And then we're going to try to get the stamp of approval from Ken on Tori's cover. So we're I gonna...
2: know we like to do that, but I don't want to have to try to convince anyone of anything. I never
0: do. I told him when we tweeted back and forth, we sent direct messages. He slid into my DMs and I said, no obligation. You give your stamp of approval or not, I, we want an honest conversation. There's no manipulation, coercion. You just tell us if you like it. And I remember the Joni Mitchell superfan, she didn't give the stamp of approval on A Case of You.
2: Yeah, and I resent her for it, <laughs> bitterly. Never going to have I her mean, back on the on. show. I mean, come on. You're not going to give your stamp of approval to Tories cover A Case of You, of all things. You're just being difficult. Well, no, no, no. She had like a good Joni reason. Mitchell herself. Oh uh, no, I <laughs> know. Joni Mitchell. Have we talked about that Rolling Stone article? I think we have, where Joni Mitchell weighs in on the music scene yes. in the late 90s. Yes. And she's like, the only band worth anything that's going to stick around for years and years is the new Radicals. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, nothing against the new Radicals, but very really. Joni Mitchell. <laughs> right? Just to be
0: clear, the super fan of A Case of You had a reason for not giving this type of approval, and she thought that, that A Case of You really relied on the beat, or the rhythm of it, with the... What is she playing? A sitar? No. <laughs> she's like I know what
2: you mean, but I can't think of what it's called. I can't either. But yeah. she
0: she's thought it really relied on that rhythm and that Torres was a little too wandering to keep the rhythm. And if you've heard that song for 30 years in your life and then you listen to someone else's version you're not going to be so open to
2: i suppose you're
0: right thank god no one's asking us for our opinions on tory covers exactly (laughs) yeah like thank god there's not an m m podcast where we have to come in as the tory expert right why
2: haven't we been asked to do that i don't know rude
0: so we're excited to talk to ken rosen i want to hear his history i want to hear his whole fandom i want to hear everything we're going to dive into that later yep yeah of course, we'd like to say a special thank you to Shay Stymac, who put together our research document. She did copious amounts of research on this episode. She searched every nook and cranny for Bruce Springsteen information. So thank you, Shay. She checked my
2: cranny, and I was like, nothing in there, sister. <laughs> but we don't call her all the way Shay for nothing. She's thorough. She's thorough. Yeah. She's thorough, but gentle. Thanks, Shay. Thanks, Shay. Let's talk
0: about our Patreon supporters, shall okay. we? Okay. Hot off the presses. This just came in in the last five minutes. So really? Really, it just did. We'd like to say hello to our new patron, Laura Rothfritz. Putting on the Rothfritz. Putting on the Rothfritz. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, we'd like to say hello to Otis Kyle Funderberg. Funder from Down Under. We also like to say hello to our new patron Randy. I'm feeling Randy. you always are. Yeah. good episode to do so on. I know. We'd also like to say hello to our new patron Andrew Johnson. You think it goes by Johnson? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And we'd also like to say hello to our sister who jumped in to support us. Matthew Taylor Thomas from Australia. That's Matthew from Australia. Remember Mm, Matthew from Australia from from Down Under? Amy Tollefield jumped in at the $2 level and then immediately jumped up to the $10 level. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Amy, for your support. Everybody. Thank you, everybody, for your support. We really appreciate everybody out there that supports us even by listening to the show, by tweeting at us, by Insta- by liking our Instagram posts, by reviewing the show on iTunes. Every little bit of support helps. And we'll be on the road next year behind Tori's tour...
2: Whenever it's announced. Yeah, she'll be there too. But really, <laughs> we're the headliners. We're going to beat her to every venue. We should make that our goal. And then when she comes rolling in last minute, like, like what oh, took you so finally long? Finally showed up. <laughs> We've been warming up for hours. <laughs> Don't worry, we already did I sound mean, check. I guess you could do a meet and greet, but we wore everyone out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started, David.
0: Okay. Let's get fired up. Okay. We're going to start right now with a cover by Mumford & Sons. Here they are covering Tori Amos's cover of I'm on Fire. you <laughs> think? <laughs>
3: Daddy, home, did he go and leave you all alone? Got a bad desire. Oh, I'm on fire. Tell me now, baby, is he good to you? Does he do to you the things that I do? I can take you higher. Oh, baby go to six through the middle of my soul and I wake up with a soaking
1: wet as a singer I go to another instrument to learn my instrument as a piano player I went to the guitar players I went to Jimmy Page I go to other mediums and um, I mean if I'm dealing with rhythm a lot of times, I'll just go listen to race cars. I'll listen to how the engines rev. So I always go to another medium sometimes to understand mine better.
2: Do you think Tori really just goes and listens to race cars? I think she's wild enough that Doesn't she that does. That sounds appealing. You know when there's like a fleet of Harleys going down the street, roaring obnoxiously, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh shh, come on, come on, man." She just goes and listens to race cars, and she's like, "Yeah." I don't think she maybe goes and listens to race cars, but when they drive
0: by, I don't think she like gets angry like we do. She, she probably stops and she's like, wait, wait. And she like starts to tap a beat on her chest or something. Oh my God, you're so right. I can yeah. see it. She's In like, 1996. Mm,
2: John, get me a pen. Right, right. The muse is here. I feel her like tapping her hair. We're going to have Little to go to Popeye's head. later.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How was your break, David? Still on fire? Yeah, still hot. Good. So let's talk about the credits for the song. Okay. Written by Bruce Springsteen, with guitars by Bruce Springsteen, drums by Max Weinberg of the Max Weinberg 7. 7, I know. And keyboards by Roy Batan. This song, in Tori's catalog, appears on the VH1 Crossroads compilation CD released in 1996. And then they also
2: released it as a promo CD single, just I'm on Fire. They were pushing her at
0: they this point. They
5: were. get Again, it.
2: I have trouble reconciling all of this with... The narrative we have of Atlantic not promoting her properly. Like she was out there. She was out there. If I do have trouble as
0: well, because I think 1996, when we look back on it, had the most press, right? For sure. Yeah. With the, the hardest to promote album. Right. There were remixes. She was popping up everywhere. She was on TV a lot. She was on she TV She was on a these lot.
2: compilations. She was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. yeah. And when she appeared on television, Crossroads, for example, she was still in a place of doing like whatever right. she wanted. Right. She didn't seem self-conscious. No. She was, yeah, she went for it. And she did not go on this show and do Silent All These Years and Cornflake Girl. Exactly. She did Sugar, Losing My Religion, and I'm on Fire,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. What David's referencing is this VH one Crossroads compilation C D, though it only has I'm on Fire on it, she did a bunch of songs that day.
2: Yeah. Like Sugar and Losing My Religion. hmm Covers in a B side. I have very fond memories of the summer of nineteen ninety six. Yeah. And that includes the airing of this show.
0: Mhm. I don't know if it sounds uncool. It certainly sounded
2: uncool then to say
0: I was obsessed with VH1 because you could find Tori on VH1. You could find her on MTV too, a little
2: bit, but you could really find her on VH1. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember the scene from Romy and Michelle where they try to get on singled out? Mm-mm. And the casting woman says, our cutoff is 25. Try VH1. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> So this is
0: from the Wikipedia article about I'm on Fire, the original. It says, I'm on Fire was recorded in February 1982 during the first wave of Born in the USA Sessions. This took place in impromptu fashion when Springsteen started making up a slow tune on guitar for some lyrics he had, some of which had been written for Spanish Eyes, which would later resurface on The Promise. And drummer Max Weinberg and keyboardist Roy Batan, hearing it for the first time, Created an accompaniment on the spot. The result was a moody number that merges a soft rockabilly beat, lyrics built around sexual tension, and synthesizers into an effective whole. It was one of the first uses of that instrument in Springsteen's music. Mm-hmm great. So this is seminal in his career, it seems new or something very different and kind of different for Tori as well to do this song. Should we listen to the original version? Yeah, let's play a little of the original. We played a little earlier, but let's play a little bit more. Why not context? That's what it's about. Tell me
3: now, baby, is it good to you? And can you do to you the things that I do? Oh, no, I can take you hard Like someone took a knife baby edgy and dull, and cut a six inch valley through
2: the middle of what do you think it's a little sweaty right? it's a little sweaty It does kind of there's a simmer yeah it's
0: driving you know what it reminds me of and I know that's not the song that they play on risky business it's a uh, in the air tonight but it reminds me of that heat that I felt when I was watching risky business and uh-huh. they are on the train fanning yourself yeah it's pretty wild. For 1982. I know. It's so in touch with its own sexuality in a way that I can't recall men being in this way. A lot of times when men were in touch with their sexuality in 80s and 90s music, it was really aggressive, I remember, or mm. like really obvious. This was subdued, just hot. There's a yearning to it too, yeah. right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wild, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> What's that recording? Is it from Tori Stories? I think there's a performance of I'm on Fire when she starts and someone goes, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Never let us down, Tory fans. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more
0: about I'm on Fire, the original. Mm-hmm. This is from ClassicRockHistory.com, March 5th, 2016. In 1984, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA album released a juggernaut of singles that covered about 60% of the album's content. I'm on Fire was the fourth single released on February 25, 1985. For the past 30 years, the song has been covered by a wide range of musical artists. One of our favorite cover versions of I'm on Fire was performed by Tori Amos. The Tori Amos performance of I'm on Fire was a complete reworking of Springsteen's 1984 classic recording. Springsteen's original arrangement of the song featured a pulsating rim shot and hi-hat rhythm that simulated the feel of driving down a deserted backstreet in the soft summer rain. It was a wonderful recording and one of the most enjoyable tracks on the Born in the USA album. There was a betraying darkness to the lyrical content that was somewhat masked by the driving force of the rhythm and the spiritual sounds of the organ. The Tori Amos performance tore away the instrumentation that Springsteen so wonderfully utilized on his original recording. The Tori Amos version stripped the music down to the heart of the original intent. Slowing the pace of the song in half, Amos's voice and stage demeanor unveiled the passion behind the lyric and the desire to engage the fantasy. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm ready to engage a fantasy. Classicrockhistory.com. They know their shit. Mm. Yes, that is an, a very accurate statement. Agreed. Because, you know, the original does have that pulsating rhythm. It does feel like you're driving down mm-hmm. some sort of deserted
2: street. And I love that they specifically say summer. I get that. I definitely have specific seasonal associations oh, songs? with songs. Yeah. And I usually make seasonal playlists, too. Really? I have like, a summer and a fall. And Why a... haven't yeah. you shared them on our Spotify? You don't know everything about me. Well, everybody... I continue to open like a flower.
0: <laughs> Perfect episode on which to do so. Uh-huh. We are going to encourage David to do his autumn playlist. If you follow us on Spotify at The Sideway Society, all one word, The Sideway Society. David's going to have his autumn playlist.
2: Can we count on you? Yeah, you can. That's a good assignment. And I already have an idea for a Halloween Instagram countdown, much like the advent calendar I did for oh, Christmas great. last year. I don't know if it's going to play as well because it's a little different, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram at
0: Songs of Toriamus and follow us on Twitter at Songs of Toriamus. Just follow us. Just do whatever, right? Follow yeah. us. We know where the good stuff is. Let's talk quickly about. Tori has referenced Bruce Springsteen throughout her live show. She's done other live covers. They were never officially released. So this is the episode that we're doing. I'm on fire, but we're treating it kind of like a whole Bruce Springsteen retrospective. retrospective. We're going to play some of... She's done Streets of Philadelphia, and she's done other covers of Bruce songs that we'll talk about that have never been released. And she's talked about him on stage a couple of times. So she obviously is a fan, which makes us a fan by proxy twice removed. <laughs> So you want to read this quote from Ur magazine from May 7th, 1994?
2: In the end, it all comes down to the music. A lot of pop stars are not musicians. They don't write their own material. They can sing. They may have personality. But they're not musicians. Someone like Bruce Springsteen is a musician, a songwriter, and a rock star. His career goes up and down because people go through some periods of different fashions. So this is from a magazine, so
0: we don't obviously have any audio recording of her saying this, but David, I feel like you didn't accentuate the word musician. Musicians. I just feel like we know Tori well enough. I know you were
2: were reading, David, but you weren't hearing what you were reading.
0: (laughs) They can sing, they may have personality, but they're not. Musician. Can I try it again? Yeah, do it again. <laughs>
2: Musician.
0: Nailed it. You woman. nailed it. A woman. <laughs> can be. Pretty she. Can be. <laughs> this is a quote from VH1.com, October 28th, 2002. So this is years after this. This is about six years later. VH1 says, people look to you like they do to Bruce Springsteen. They want more than just the music alone. Is it hard to concentrate on stage with that burden of expectation? That's a great question.
2: And Tori says, (laughs) no. At the end of the day, you're a musician, and it's a privilege to play. After playing bars where people were spilling beer over the piano so many times, you value people sitting there and not saying, hey, after the show, honey. You think, okay, I have a set list of 125 things I can play tonight. For the most part, the crowd is going to be open. They like a good show. God, if she only had 125 songs now, we'd be pretty much done. I know,
0: we're or at, at least catalog. halfway. <laughs> right. That's true. I think Tori fans are uniquely poised for a show. No matter what it is, we let her do her thing, whatever she brings out. It's exciting to see how she weaves it together. And what you said earlier about Bruce, his set list brings a sort of symbiotic relationship to the two fandoms. You want to read another quote, David? Sure. This is from Pop Matters, October 5th, 2012. So now we're 10 years after the last quote. So 16 years removed from the recording of this song. And this is a quote where she's specifically referencing Strange Little Girls, her 2001 album,
2: of songs written by men where she sort of injects the woman's perspective. Pop Matters says, Neil Gaiman once said there was a cover that didn't make it onto Strange Little Girls that he thought was the best cover you'd ever done, but he wouldn't say what it was. Any idea what he was referring to? Oh, yeah. He's talking about Growing Up by Bruce Springsteen. I did it with Matt Chamberlain.
0: I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day. That's a good question. I always have time for Bruce. Well, that's a little... I mean, if she says she always has time for Bruce, but she'll never release it.
2: Yeah. I always have time for Bruce. But not officially. <laughs> she said that about a few people. Like the, her Like a Virgin cover? Yeah. No, but she said, like, I have always have time for whoever a few times. Even like Marilyn Manson. But she called him Brian. Brian. I always yeah. have time for Brian. I, always have, I like that she calls him Brian. condescending. You think it's condescending? Kinda. Really? Like, I don't think anyone calls him Brian.
0: I don't think it's her being condescending. I've always taken that as her saying that she knows him, that they are friends, and she can't call him Marilyn Manson because... Well, that's that's... a nice way of looking at it. I hope that's true. Like Uh, To me, it sounds like him calling her Myra. I always have time for Myra. Time for Myra. No, I think... Because he goes by Brian. He never changed his name to Marilyn Manson. That was just his... I guess. Stage name. Yes. Remember how offended she got when David Byrne said, when you changed your name or took what was in the old days called a stage name? And she (laughs) kind of gave this look. It's not my stage name. It's my
2: real name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, she was considering Sammy J. And a few other things, (laughs) so you can't really fault him for phrasing it that way. Would we be doing this podcast drive all night, the songs of
0: Sammy J. Amos? Yeah,
2: we would. Would we? Yeah. You think that she would have caught on if her name was Sammy J.? Can we do an alternate reality episode where she's Sammy J. Amos? Yeah. And we just record the whole episode that way? Of course. Okay, let's do it. Okay, good.
0: I like that quote because it talks of things that are in the vault growing up by Bruce Springsteen. Let's play a little of that just so we can kind of imagine or speculate what Tori's cover would be like. Great.
3: Well, I stood stone like at midnight Suspended in my masquerade And I combed my hair, it was just right And commanded the night brigade I was open to clean
0: So even though the studio version of that song remains locked in the vault, she did do it live. That was from October 22nd, 94 in Stores, Connecticut. And then she goes on to do it again on April 8th in New York City, 2005. Now we're going to play this. I think this is probably close to her recorded cover version just because of the timeline. And it's after the fact that she would have recorded it. So she's probably playing it similar to the studio version, but that's just a guess.
1: This is the song by the Sandwich Man.
4: <laughs> well, I stone
6: still alive in the night, suspended in my mouth
4: I cold my hands and it was just right, and could
0: suppose that never made it into her regular repertoire as much as i'm on fire i'm not sure i don't i'm not personally connecting with that song so and it doesn't feel like the audience is as much as they do with i'm on fire right and maybe that has something to do with it you know she loves to please an audience it's interesting that she says it was her and matt chamberlain the Mm -hmm. way she's describing the song reminds me of her cover of i'm not in love just or lust those drums Mm -hmm. like teardrop drums or Mm -hmm. i don't know how better to say it but yeah I can see that. I bet it's pretty wild. We'll and for Neil know. Gaiman to say it's the best song that she's
2: ever done, the best cover. <laughs> I wow. think Neil Gaiman's a little prone to hyperbole, especially well, yeah. on the eve of an album's release. Right. Was like, it's the best thing she's ever done. What's it called? <laughs> well, he
0: talked about during the Strange Little Girls time, she does things on this album with her voice that she's never done before, which I found to be true in I'm Not In Love. You know, where she does the run, the vocal run, because she doesn't usually do vocal runs. <laughs>
2: I love that. Anyway. I have a hard time post-Dewdrop-in tour imagining there are things with her voice she hadn't done that we were hearing for the first time on that album. But okay. She was wild. Well, that's a lot of information. Not necessarily
0: about I'm on fire, but her thoughts on Bruce Springsteen. Can your noodle hold it? My noodle can hold it. All that information. (laughs) How many?
2: Quick. How many sugars do I like in my tea? Five. Yeah, that does sound like me, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) More is more. So, David, this is a bit of a controversial question. You know I shy away from controversy. I I court it. (laughs) Should we... Knowing that Tori did not write the song, should we do a line-by-line? Line? Maybe we should do a stanza-by-stanza. Stanza. Okay, I can live with that. Should we do the Bruce version or the Tori version? I vote for the Tori version. Okay. I mean, this is a Tori Amos podcast. Yeah. Bruce fans, if you want a line-by-line line with the Bruce version, start your own show. But... <laughs> We invite you to do that, like a potluck.
2: This is what we're bringing, right?
0: But start we- your own Bruce Springsteen podcast and have us on for this episode. Yeah, we need more than one entree. So, <laughs> by the end of the episode, we'll be experts. We'll be able to bring a lot to the table, right, David? Yeah. Okay. Let's do a line by line of Tori's version then.
4: Hey, little girls, you
0: All right. I want to stop here. Is she talking about? I mean, is Bruce talking about your daddy, like your father, or like your
2: daddy, like your old man? Is it very clear to you one way or the other? I never thought it was someone who's in a relationship. Really? No. And if we look to the video, I think that makes it clear that that is what's happening. Not that the Springsteen video is necessarily mirroring the exact narrative of the song, but I always thought of this as like a young, passionate relationship and like kids sneaking out to be together like an actual father figure. As really? opposed to like your daddy, your old. That's, I don't know. Really? Yeah. That's funny.
0: I've never seen the Bruce Springsteen video, but I've always considered it like your daddy. Like, you know how you call your like boyfriend your old man or your, your husband your old man, my old man? Yeah.
2: My daddy. That's hey, distasteful girls. to me. So I why? guess that's why my head never went there. Why is that distasteful like to you? Your old man, your daddy? Let's your get to husband? I mean, it's interesting Ooh. that we
0: have different perspectives. I'm open to yours. You should be open to mine. I am. Mm hmm. That's disgusting. Like, I, don't to, I don't have to like it. <laughs> Your opinion is distasteful to me. (laughs) That's interesting. I've always thought daddy. I don't know why. Maybe because I like calling men daddy. Is that what it is? Probably. Maybe. Here's why I've always thought that it was daddy, like lover, daddy, is because there is a yearning embedded in the song from the very beginning right? Do you feel that? Oh, I do for sure. So this yearning, if your father's away, that to me is distasteful. Like if you're yearning when your father's away, it says something that I'm not comfortable with. Did he go and leave you all alone? Like you're now going to fulfill this emptiness that your father left you. That's why it's distasteful. And thank you for letting me get my word in
2: (laughs) on distaste. I get it. And obviously that's not where I'm going. Again, and maybe a lot of it is just tied to the age that I was when I was like so invested in these songs. I was thinking of like being out from under your parents' thumb when you could finally do what you wanted to do and have like, you know, actually pursue this forbidden romance or whatever. I get that completely.
0: For me, where it kind of has a trick is to go and leave you all alone. There's something there instead of saying like did your parents go or did your father turn his back on you or anything like that kind of way So to you this is someone who's in a dissatisfying relationship yeah. Maybe yeah, okay that someone is not meeting your needs that you are You're yearning for more and maybe it's also partially because obviously the first time I heard the song was the Tori Amos version That's what makes it interesting to talk to the super fan too, right? Is that we just have two completely different perspectives but my first version was a Tory version and she sings everything
2: so desirously. <laughs> right? So well, everything I, is yearning. I like your interpretation and I actually think you're right as much as I love to argue with you just for the fun of it. So I'm <laughs> gonna it as much. I'm going to allow you to and hope that you do elevate my interpretation of this song not only because i think you're right because it's obviously way more consistent with not only the stage i'm at in my life but what my experience kind of happens to be <laughs> or was not so long ago so sure are you saying that in 1996 i was already you've always been a step ahead that's what you're saying it's like way i've always shower. just been an intellectual giant well, yeah but also just wise beyond your years thank you and you you hadn't lived but you somehow had experience right yeah i feel the same way <laughs> okay. now you're just tired
0: sexual desire right why that to be bad the reason it's bad in my opinion has been because she has a daddy she's got a partner she's got a husband she's got a man who's gone and left her alone and the desire is you know she's still burning up a lot of Tori's work deals with sexuality and women repressing their sexuality right and I think this comes from a woman who feels like she needs to repress
2: that sexuality or the character in the song it's a bad desire because I shouldn't be having these these urges Maybe, and I think it holds both probably for sure, but I definitely always interpreted that as just strong. Oh, like, I want it bad. I like that. Give it to me good, I want it bad. <laughs> my father's gone and I want it bad. Where's my Diet Coke?
4: Tell now, baby, is it good to you? and can he do to you the things I won't do?
0: That's another reason why it's always been about a man... A partner because he says tell me now baby is he good to you does he do to you the things i won't do that's dirty right is it won't do or want to oh
4: Can do to the things i won't do?
2: well it's want to but I've always heard won't do. But either way, this obviously highlights that your interpretation is correct because, given the sentiment of the song, you wouldn't be saying that about someone's His actual father. father right, it would be a whole s- different song. <laughs> Certainly. Right. So I get that. So what is it that he wants to do to her? He wants to give it to her good. Take her to Applebee's.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. So no, but what does he want to do? This is talking. We're talking about sex, right? And it doesn't even have to be about sex. I am not the one to ask. (laughs) The man that you're with, does he get to do the things to you that I want to, which is hold you, touch you, kiss you, caress you, right? Yes. We're feeling the same thing, right? Yes. And then need you, and Tori kind of buries it, want to need you.
4: you you.
0: So he's, the the character singing the song is on fire for the woman
2: in the song. Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. And I love Tori's phrasing in this song, which is something that makes it so fun to kind of sing along to. I want to need you. Each phrase kind of flows into the next and then kind of halts abruptly.
4: Things I want to need you.
0: It occurs to me just now for the first time that he has the bad desire, not her. The phrasing's tricky. The phrasing kind of tripped me up because it's being sung by a woman, at least in our version, right? So Bruce is the one with the bad desire, not the woman. Is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire, not her. So she could not be having a desire at all. That's true. But because Tori's injected herself, she's singing from a woman's perspective,
2: you must assume. But I still... Like, gender, I don't think, really matters. She's stepping into whatever role the narrator is playing. And I meant to point this out at the beginning of the line-by-line. I, of course, love that she does not do something ridiculous like change the gender or the pronouns. Like most other artists would. I don't know if we're going to play it, but... I Bat was listening lashes. to other covers, including a no. Bat for Lashes cover. No. And she changes it to Hey Little Boy. Like, seriously. Is your mommy home? Come on. It's dumb. I never thought it was, like, a daring or brave thing to do in the 90s. But I guess on the long list of things Tori did that would have raised some eyebrows this was to one not... Change the pronouns. Care to change and still be essentially singing about a woman, but like not really who cares. Two things that I want to address. One, that
0: idea, because I think Tori is a musician of, she comes from a long, what is it, what's the word she uses? Tradition of musicians, where it's like the song itself is the grail. The song is the capsule. And I think that she would be offended (laughs) by herself to change the pronouns, right? Like she's honoring the song for what the song is. Right. So that's one. Two, being a woman herself and singing from Bruce's perspective, it still feels almost like she's the little girl in the song, that she's singing from the object of Bruce's affection. It seems like she's singing from that perspective. A little to me because I never it, it really just is only now occurring to me as I'm really kind of analyzing it that she is Bruce she's not the little girl at home with a bad desire oh for sure but that never occurred to me I've it's but always been that she was the girl singing back to the man I'm like on fire too I
2: feel like you're backtracking on yourself though and I'm confused by what you actually think because to me Bruce the narrator is the one with the bad desire right not the woman at home well however she may be the
0: reason I always thought the girl at home was the one with the bad desire desire was because Tori's a woman and singing it from what I assume is that girl's perspective. So this is all just discovery right now. My (laughs) eyes are wide. I'm ready to go where the song takes me. No, you don't I, think there's
2: anything in there of that? No, I I don't. And I mean, I mean, hearing you say it, I'm thinking, well, I mean, maybe she was flirting with that idea and kind of starting to workshop strange little girls like yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this is the woman five years later who's going to go and purposely sing songs written mm. by men from a woman's perspective for this reason. Yeah, again, that could be true, but I've never thought that particularly of this song. And I'll tell you why. I think a lot of it has to do with the way Tori has talked about only being in touch with her passion And that included her sexuality when she was on stage performing. Right. And it all went into the performance. Right. And I think that's so true here. And I really feel it in every performance of this song. It's like somehow singing the song is a way for her to focus that and access it in a way that she couldn't maybe actually do in her real life. So in that regard, I don't think she's sort of playing with role playing here. She's almost using it to step into that person with strong sexual desire for someone else that maybe was more complicated or inaccessible to her as a woman at this point in her life for a whole host of reasons.
0: I hear what you're saying. I absolutely hear what you're saying, but I would use that as my reasoning that she's stepping into the role of the girl in the song is because she's only alive, she said, when she's on stage and only in touch with her sexuality. And therefore, this is her way of saying that the girl in the song is feeling as much desire as well.
2: I don't, I just, I just don't actually get that from the song. To me, it's a very passive role and the girl is being admired by someone else. Right. And to me, Tori's taking charge and she's the one who's sort of consumed with this passion. Right.
0: To me, I guess it's just a more interesting cover to to think that Tori, for me, to think that Tori has put herself in the role of the girl and is flipping that script, saying, you got a bad desire, but so do I. To me, that's a little bit more of an interesting focus pool. Because to me, then, it would be so much more on the nose, like if she's actually the narr- singing the same from the same perspective as Bruce, the male aggressor. I think Tori is really, really good at and has, throughout her career, all the strange little girls, parasol, she steps into the woman and says in fact
2: this is what the woman is feeling i get it i just for me this is this cover and all the performances of it are very pure and they're almost like celebrating the experience of being hugely attracted to someone and being overcome with that desire and it's not about like flipping the script or seeing it for me through a different Fair. lens or being like, this is what it's I've, like to be, you know, to have the male gaze directed at you. Like, there's nothing negative about it at all.
0: I don't think, no, I don't think she's maybe even consciously flipping the script. I still feel like she's playing the female role. But now I have a follow-up question for you. What are your thoughts on Whole Lot of Love, her cover of Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love? To me, it's it falls in the same category. That's a song by Led Zeppelin where Robert Plant talks about his, you know, obviously the size of his dick, right? Well, Tori... Is playing that aggressor part as well, but as a woman and saying she's got a whole lot of love as well. That's how I look at that song. That's similar to how I look at this song, that the woman is saying, I've got the desire as well. Not that she's maybe even consciously doing it. And it maybe is just because I can't think outside of the fact that Tori herself is a woman.
2: And that's why it feels that way to me, maybe. What are yeah, your and thoughts me, on whole lot know, of love? We're talking 25 years or whatever at this point. So things were different. But I think there was like a fluidity to playing with gender here and traditional gender roles that maybe wouldn't be quite as relevant. Or, I don't know, daring as it is now. But I also think of Rid of Me era PJ Harvey songs. Where there was kind of like a gender fuck element. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, with songs like Man Size. And she's kind of like hinting at like the size of her like lady penis or something. And there's like a sense of humor about it. But there's also like kind of a winking takedown of male sexuality and aggression. And I don't know. That's kind of what Tori's doing with Whole Lot of Love to me too. Well, like you're saying... Also acknowledging, like, hey guys, we as women have like a the whole same lot needs and drives yeah. that you do. So To me, this is just
0: a more interesting perspective or cover if she is playing the female role rather than just an aggressor gazing at an object of beauty that is left sort of passive. I think we've side. gone too far. The point is Tori wants it bad, and I get it. <laughs> Whoever she's playing, she needs it. She needs it now.
2: Give it to her. End <laughs> this torment. The
0: I mean, she's saying she wants to cool her desire, but I'm not hearing it in her voice that she wants to cool that desire. Well, I
2: mean, you know, sometimes drawing it out and foregoing that is its own (sighs) pleasurable experience. I've heard doing it for years. I've read a lot on the subject.
0: (laughs) I mean, she sounds like she's on fire.
4: Sometimes it feels like you took a knife edgy and dull and cut a six-inch valley through the middle of my soul.
0: I love that imagery. boys that have got it very literally here in this song, whoever it is, is gutting her, right? It feels like sometimes it feels like you took a knife edgy and dull and cut a six-inch valley through the middle of my yeah.
2: soul. You murdered me. But to me, that's just that pain of unrequited love yeah. or... Love that isn't being reciprocated, or just love that can't express itself for whatever reason. So you're just not that so someone's tortured. like consciously doing something to hurt you, but mm-hmm. just that angst or pain mm-hmm. of separation. You're probably or, right
0: on that because it doesn't seem like the girl in the song is doing much purposefully to hurt Bruce mm-hmm. or the narrator. You say unrequited.
2: Uh huh. That's interesting. Why? I say unrequited. Unrequited. Yeah Do you also say vase? No, I say vase Okay <laughs> <laughs> But we also established that you say piscian. Yeah, a group of Pisces together are piscians. Pishan A
0: school of piscians. Yeah, like what are we going to say? Pisceans? That's Piscean? so dumb That's so dumb <laughs> Piscians.
2: Just dumb Piscians.
4: <laughs> not I with a sheet wet, with a red running through the middle of my head I'm
0: both bruce springsteen and tori amos do tremendous wonders to convey that torture that you go through when you're really into someone your sheets are so like when you really like just are obsessing and obsessing over somebody and you're covered in sweat and you can't stop thinking this freight train running through the middle of my head do you think that's a headache or do you think that's just like thoughts racing racing thoughts yes yeah
2: I love the way, too, can I just say, that she sings that line without breathing. It's just like a long exhale. Mm-hmm. With the sheets, all the way down without yeah. stopping, yeah. That's <laughs> great. She's great.
0: What a great cover. Let's keep going. It's interesting the role that breath plays in this song. Breath is present throughout Tori's catalog. She uses breath as much as she uses empty space, as much as she uses words, as much as she uses notes. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. This song is very breathy, and it plays a very important role, in my opinion, to illuminate the narrative.
2: Yeah, I mean, breath is an instrument in its own right, I think. And that's particularly true of her live performances. So,
0: mm-hmm. But right there, too, just that long inhale. You were talking about the exhale, and then that inhale. Mm-hmm. it's like... I need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Gasp. Got a bad desire. Desire's still bad. Mm. Didn't get good. She's growling. It's very clear she's on fire. She's very hot. It is very clear. This woman is on fire. Fire. This girl is on fire. You think that song's about Tori Amos yeah. doing this cover? Yeah. Probably. Probably least Keys saw that. Tori saw inspires so many other female musicians and yeah. they
2: never give her the credit she deserves. Yeah. That girl is on fire. Yeah.
4: Sometimes it feels like you took a knife into, and got a six-inch valley through the middle of my soul.
0: So she's still tortured, she repeats that that chorus again. Sometimes it feels mm-hmm. like it took a knife. Safe to say there's n- this love is not consummated right, in right. this moment. But he'll always be left desirous. Uh-huh. Or the character, the narrator will always be left desiring. There's something, I know there's no resolve in the song and in Bruce's version you know, it's just this kind of rhythmic thing that doesn't end. And, like, you could probably loop it very well. Yeah, you're you right. Know, play it again and again and again. But there's something about the way she holds that note. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? The way she holds that home, that to me, there's something there. What do you think? Something there like... I wouldn't say a resolution necessarily, but something's different, right? The, the attack on that note is different. And the attack on that word is yeah. different. What do you think that means? I think in this
2: moment, in this performance, it feels to me like that prolonged desire is its own satisfaction oh yeah i do and this is like a little bit of a cheat but i get what you're saying and i think in live concert performances there is a different intensity to that final final moment that's not present here Mm -hmm. i think this is maybe a good lesson for me where i am in my life right now sometimes you have to just give yourself permission to be where you are and enjoy the ride Enjoy the desire that's taking you to the next thing. It doesn't always have to be the final destination. So, like, yeah, we'll get there. But for now, I'm just gonna sit in my wanting.
0: <laughs>
2: Is that the lesson that you need right now? Maybe. I can, take
0: you I can take you higher than than what? Than you are? Than your man? Than anyone else? Than anyone your else? Your man? Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally? All of it. I higher than you are you now, higher. even. Just like let
2: me, let me sing to you.
0: Let's take a moment I need one Let's listen to Yanta's cover Yonta is an amazing gentleman Who's done almost every Tory song An instrumental cover And he's incredible And you should support him At patreon.com slash Yanta And here is his cover of I'm on fire And we'll be right back To talk to Ken Rosen Our Bruce Springsteen super fan So if you're a super fan of the boss Does that make you the boss's boss? Or the boss's executive assistant? No, you report to the boss Oh, you report to the boss Ooh, I like it
2: Simple, it kind of matches that looping rhythm of the original. To the... But it really opens up here, it's so gorgeous.
0: love her not i love that she's not afraid to use silence or to you know that those are moments that she fills in with just her voice mm-hmm. yeah Is there something so grounded that makes you feel like this is a passion from like your gut?
2: Got a bad There's something about this too that makes me want to use the word pure, and I'm not sure exactly why, but... my head from side to side here, so I'm going to do it. Good, you're doing it. You're doing it. Live your best life, David.
0: Question for you: When she doing when she's doing a cover of a song, do you think that she sits down and just kind of figures out how she's going to play the song? Obviously, she does. You know, how am I going to work the song? How am I going to get into it? What's my perspective going to be? But do you think she sits down and really plans out every note or every moment, or is there a certain element of just kind of vamping and? just letting her fingers do
2: the walking. I think she comes up with a basic arrangement and then, you know, no performance is ever the same. So I think she's always really in the moment. Right. And I think this performance of it, which is not any sort of judgment, but the performance from Crossroads is a little more subdued because she is Mm -hmm. in the studio and she's not going to unleash the way she might in concert so there's a different flavor to it right um but i do consider this the definitive performance of the song yeah maybe in the running with one other choice which i'll save for the live section okay but... that was yanta doing his instrumental cover of Tori's cover
0: of bruce springsteen's i'm on fire and you can support yanta he's done almost every tory track and who knows what he's going to do next support him on patreon.com slash yanta to find out We'll be right back with Ken Rosen, who reports to The Boss. Until then, here's the Bobcats.
3: Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Is he gone and left you all alone? Oh, got a bad desire. Whoa.
0: ladies and gentlemen we are back and on the line we have ken rosen ken is a bruce springsteen super fan and he runs a daily bruce springsteen blog called eStreetshuffle.com. hi ken hey thanks for having me on well thank you so much for being on the show we're so excited to get into bruce's world and the fandom but first and foremost please tell our listeners about eStreetshuffle.com. you guys this is awesome
7: yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, my blog is com. It's a blog devoted to the work and life of Bruce Springsteen. So I publish every day and have since January 5th, 2018. So it's kind of like running a marathon. Every day I publish two articles. One is a This Day in Springsteen History post with like everything of note that he has done on that day in history. And then the other one is kind of a deep dive into a song, on one of his own songs. Sometimes it's a cover. Sometimes it's a cover of someone else doing one of his songs. Um, or sometimes it's just an interesting song that he's given away or, or done a team up with somebody. So gosh, I think I'm close. Six hundred days in, and probably have about a thousand more to go. <laughs> who would put that much time into a musician's body of work? Thought it was I thought absolutely know. I don't absurd. Know. What kind of person does it take to do that?
0: <laughs> How long have you been a Bruce Springsteen superfan? Tell us your origin story. Tell us everything.
7: <laughs> I don't know if I'm comfortable with the label superfan. I think there are some folks who who's, whose devotion can put mine to shame, um, both in terms of fervor and tenure. But. Um, yeah, gosh, um, I grew up in Philadelphia, uh, which is a big Bruce Springsteen town, kind of being right there by New Jersey, um, live out in Seattle now. But growing up in Philly, it's it, Bruce's music is kind of ubiquitous. Um, I it, it certainly was while I was growing up. It was just always on, always there. We had his albums in my house. And so uh, it was just sort of Pervasive. So I, I don't remember a time when I became a fan. If there's a time, I guess I became a super fan. Um, if we're going to use that word, probably right around the turn of the millennium or so, where the Internet kind of connected me to other fans and it was kind of the start of online community and was able to go see multiple shows in multiple cities and kind of just grew from there. How many shows have you seen? Uh, let's see, depending on how you count it, um, like 66, 68, something like that. Depends if you count his Broadway shows. Depends if you count places where he's just popped up, where he wasn't supposed to, that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, can you tell us a little bit, please, about Bruce's history as a musician? He's called the boss. Was he always the boss? Did he get a promotion? (laughs) Or...
7: (laughs) It's funny because you know, the story is he never really particularly cared for that nickname, although I suspect he probably didn't mind it so much. Um, I think it comes from basically just sort of the the fanatical laser focus um, and vision he's always had for his music and the way he wants it to be performed and arranged and and constructed and, and the way he leads the band. Um, but, I mean, career-wise, man, the guy's been playing since he was... He was a teenager, um, and I think most startlingly, there are surviving bootleg performances of him in like a high school band. So wow. It's just crazy that this stuff was ever recorded and that it even survives. But he signed with Columbia in 1973 and put out his first album. And most people are familiar with him from that point forward. You know, it's been about 50 years of of a career. He's got just one heck of a body of music. And
0: so, what's your favorite? era album.
7: Oh, oh, oh. Don't ask me that.
0: If you had to pick one, what would you say is your favorite song?
7: I, 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 I don't know that I can. There's so many. Um, I think, I mean, gosh. Um, the one that's probably most often at the top of my list, because it does change from time to time, is um, Land of Hope and Dreams, which he wrote, I think, in 1999 when he reassembled the E Street Band after being apart from them for a number of years. And it's just this great, uplifting Powerful song. Um, very anthemic. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that one. But um, I think I have favorites from, gosh, almost every year.
0: I know what being a Tory fan is like, but what is being a Bruce fan like? I heard recently he changes up all his set lists. Does. He does these really long concerts, I've also heard. Yeah. So. Uh, And that way, there's a similarity between him and Tori. You know, she's always changing up the set lists. It's always, it builds this live culture. I mean, there's a frenzy around a Tori show. Is it the same
7: thing in the Bruce community? It is. It is. um, There's just this wild unpredictability to it. He does put on long shows. Uh, His last tour, the last leg of the tour, the shows were routinely topping four hours with what no opening act, no intermission, nothing. Right. It's just going straight forward. Not only is it unpredictable each night, it is like he will randomly pull out a song that he's never, ever, ever played before. That is only known because there's some like, leaked bootleg of it from like 30 or 40 years ago and fans will request it or you know someone will request some bizarre cover that they think it would be fun for him to do and he'll do it it's uh this is interesting thing fans will bring signs to the show he'll they'll hold them up he will at various times go out into the audience collect the signs that look interesting and and what he does just to kind of you know the magic behind it is he's got these teleprompters on stage and he's got a crew basically. And when he's got a sign in his hand, they're Googling the song, (laughs) right. And they're pulling up, they're pulling up the lyrics, they're pulling up the guitar chords and stuff. And so, you know, he will like, you know, huddle the band for like anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes on stage. They'll work it out and then they'll just, Do the song. Um, And and there are some amazing moments that happen out of that. That's incredible. So, okay. So in preparation for this episode,
0: you know, I was at Amoeba and I was going through the Bruce Springsteen vinyl section and I was, it just occurred to me how many live releases he has on vinyl. I mean, that's not something Tori really does for us. She has an archive, but she never really dips into it
7: or plays unreleased material. Well, you know, Bruce never did really either. Until he did. For a long time, I mean, fans just salivated for, you know, archive releases. And gosh, a couple years ago, he started... In 2014, I think he started the practice of recording every show every night and releasing it right away so like a couple of days later you could buy the show and then a couple years after that it's pretty recent like maybe only two years or so ago he just started every month they call it first friday because it's on the first friday of the month he will you know they go into the archives of all the shows find some significant or notable show and they clean it up and they release it and you know it's like a a museum, a living museum of, of his shows over the year. Um, but he never did it. And then all of a sudden he started. So you never know what Tori. Let's talk about I'm on fire. Yeah.
0: Where does I'm on fire fall in Bruce's body of work?
7: I'm on fire came along right at the height, the apex of his popularity that was on born in the USA. And it was one of, I think seven songs from that album, uh, that became just like monster singles wow. on that one. And it was probably the only song well, maybe my hometown is up there with it. That's kind of on the slower side as well. So it was kind of an unusual song for Bruce to to have crack the pop mainstream like that. But uh, you know, it, it definitely was part of that wave. If you were listening to the radio in the mid '80s, 1984 and 1985, you could not avoid Bruce Springsteen, and "I'm on Fire" was, was one of the the big singles that came off that album. And how do you
0: feel personally about the original?
7: You know, I like the song. The song perplexes me a little bit. I mean, it's it's a, not the song itself, not lyrically. It's a very. It's actually one of the most direct songs that Bruce has written. It's there's really no. Uh, hidden depth to it at all it's a great song I wouldn't rank it you know at the top of his catalog but what fascinates me about it is everybody covers it everybody covers it there are so many covers there and I've never been able to figure out to be honest what the fascination is that artists have with that song I mean it's uh I mean it's an interesting song it's a passionate song it's a cheating song it's kind of a song about adultery but I'm like what is it that makes it relevant with everybody like so much that they want to do that song. So we do a line by line in the show and it happened right before I called
0: you um and I think you just cleared up a little confusion for us because daddy's not a father figure
7: right? Daddy's like a a honey. (laughs) Yeah Bruce had a he had a habit until it was about the end of it I think in the born in the USA period where he would refer to women as little girls and um (laughs) just used that kind of infantilizing language he kind of out of it. And I think he was sort of coached to get out of that, too. It was a um, different time. It was when, a different time. Yeah, it was a, it was a different time. I wouldn't fly today. And he doesn't do that today. But, uh, you know, the song is the song. So how do you feel about Tori's cover? Obviously, you've heard it.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you listen to the official VH1 Crossroads version? I, I did.
7: And, you know, it's interesting to me because one of the things that, that I like about doing my blog is that because I have, like you, I do a, a song by song focus, I will go back and I will intensely listen, right, to that song. And sometimes I notice things that I haven't noticed before. And I had, I mean, I was very familiar with Tori's cover, but when I went back and listened to it and really listened to it, I noticed something that kind of jolted me a mm-hmm. little bit. And that is she changes a line, a couple of words, actually. And in doing it, she actually changes the meaning of the song. And I'd never noticed it before. And it kind of caught me off guard. So there's um, the second verse of the song is, uh, Tell me now, baby, is he good to you? Will he do to you the things that I do? And that's, that's how Bruce sings it. And Tori, I actually, to be honest, maybe you can help me. I actually am not sure what Tori's singing, but she's not singing that. Yeah, <laughs> she's saying will he you,
0: will you do I, to you the things I want to?
7: So so I, so I wasn't sure if she was saying I want to or I won't do. I actually thought it was want to, but then I went back and listened to it a few more times, and I think she's saying I won't do. Either way.
0: Welcome to the Tori-verse, Ken. I spent my whole life thinking it was won't do, and then I yeah. was convinced by the end of the line-by-line that it was want to, and I'll probably change my mind tomorrow. <laughs>
7: Well, either way, it's, it makes the song different, right? Because if, right. if you listen to Bruce's version and you pay attention to the lyrics, it's clear, I think it is to me, that like, there is something currently going on oh, with interesting. the narrator and the woman, right? Yeah. Can he do to you the things that I do? Like, basically, you know, we hooked up and you're with this other guy. And I want you, I want you all to myself. You should leave this guy. Right. But, but he's in the middle of it. And the way Tori sings it, it's either, if it's, I want to, it's more of a fantasy. It's all about the desire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, or if she's saying that I won't do, then I don't, I'm not sure what that is. It's a, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm not freaky enough for you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, Either way. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, It's interesting how a small, tiny, tiny, tiny change like that can actually have a significant effect on the meaning of the song.
0: Now, the moment of truth, ladies and gentlemen. Do you give the song your stamp of approval? Now, there's no coercion here, you guys, I promise. (laughs) We just had a great conversation. If you want to go ahead and ruin it by not giving the stamp of approval, that is your choice. But you don't. You're under no obligation.
7: Well, I do, Um, and there's a few reasons why. I mean, one, I'm biased. I love Tori's music. I'm not a super fan of Tori's music, but uh, I think like we were talking about over Twitter, um, I discovered her very early on and just fell in love with her voice and and her lyrics. And so... um, when she did a cover of Bruce's music. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Um, But the other thing I I like about the song, I love her reading of the song. I love the way she embraced it and kind of goes right to the heart of the desire within it. But, you know, after listening to it again today and watching it and really paying attention and noticing the lyrical change, I like it when artists um, adapt songs, even if it's minor changes i like when they make songs their own right and they say i'm gonna you know there's there's something about this that speaks to me it may not be exactly what the author intended but i'm gonna go with what i feel Right, and that's uh, that's pretty
0: cool. So you give it your stamp of approval. I do.
7: How about you? I do
0: absolutely. I even give Bruce's version the stamp of approval. But here's the funny thing about this Tory version has nothing on the other versions. Huh. Here she's at VH1. She's got the cameras on her, so she's a little you know a little stiff. But in other versions, she goes wild for the song. You'll you'll listen to the show, and at the end we do a live section. We'll play some different versions, and you'll see a little bit of a difference cool. there. Ken, this has been so wonderful. Please take a moment and tell the people again about your blog. You guys, this, you have to go to this blog. What Ken does is wonderful because he <laughs> goes above and beyond even what David and I do. He does it daily, seven days a week. He is amazing. So go over, head over to eStreetShuffle.com. We have a daily show too. Um, it's oh, only uh, five uh, days a week though. Every day we pull a different song out of the bag of Tory songs. We call it the Torical and we do kind of like a daily reading for the people but i'm loving your idea of today in history so i'd love to steal that for our show
5: <laughs> be my gosh.
0: yay so everybody head over to EastStreetShuffle.com. find out about bruce get into bruce um i'm gonna start his first album greetings from asbury park that's where i'm gonna start and we're gonna play your favorite song land of hope and dreams ken thank you so much for being on the show thank you Of course, there's a lot more to that interview. We had a fascinating conversation. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you can head over to patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus to check out the complete unedited interview. a cover of I'm on fire by the chromatics.
3: to you? Can he do to you the things that I do? I can take you higher. I'm on fire.
4: valley through
6: the middle of my skull.
1: Show in San Francisco. Um, they were announcing who was coming to San Francisco. They were announcing. And they started announcing people. Are these sirens going to bother you? We're
3: used to it. You yeah, we could.
1: Um, they were announcing all the artists that were coming. And then they announced this one. And there were boos in the audience. Now, you have to ask what audience was it. It was, you know. But still, you would think that they were kind of kind. And they booed him. And I sat there thinking, you know, you couldn't pay to get in to his shows a few years ago. And I'll tell you who it was in a minute. And the fickleness that's happening in this moment, I thought to myself, everybody can go through this. I don't think that he's doing anything other than trying to write his songs, and I think he's trying to be truthful. And this was Bruce Springsteen. And I just say to you that you cannot put your faith in the outside. No matter, you know, you think, God, that ice cream's always going to be there because I have the keys to the factory. And I'll always be able to go get ice cream there. Well, I think it's wise to have a few bucks in your pocket so that you can go down to the Seven Eleven and go buy it if you have to. Because you know what? If I have to, I will. And you just cannot rely on the outside.
0: That's why he's the boss. Oh. oh. I, I never questioned he, it, but I never really dove too deep into he's it. He's not the boss of me. Did he found the company? <laughs> oh. So since this is the Bruce Springsteen tribute episode, we probably, unless she covers Bruce, or unless that cover that's in the vault is released, we probably won't do another Bruce Springsteen episode. So we're just gonna get it all, we're gonna pack it all into this episode. And this is our live section, but we're also gonna do TV and radio appearances. And we're gonna start with Tori Amos and Carly Simon presenting a Grammy to Bruce Springsteen. Here we go. This is really living. The nominations for best male rock vocal
4: performance are,
1: Loser, Beck, oh, Red Rain, Peter Gabriel,
3: In fielder, fielder,
1: the, the gardens, You Send Me Allegheny, Van Morrison. When
3: I saw you stand there, you will stand there, do some better acting
1: streets of philadelphia bruce springsteen
5: (laughs) (laughs) philadelphia neil
1: young
4: and the grammy goes to
5: Streets of Philadelphia Bruce
3: Springsteen Going oh, uh, I'm sure this is a rock vocal You stick around long enough and they give these things to you,
0: I guess. Uh... Meta, right? I know. Worlds collide. Tori Amos presenting a Grammy to Bruce Springsteen is almost like me speaking with Ken Rosen. It's like worlds colliding, right? I'm going to need a second to untie that knot. Yeah. Yeah. Tori and Bruce, Efren and Ken. Okay, yeah. This is a clip of Tori playing Thunder Road. This is another song by Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road. This is her playing Thunder Road on WDRE on February 5th, 1996. Hit it,
4: Tori! Screen door slams, Mary's dress waves Like a vision she dances across the porch as the radio plays Right, all but some things for the lonely That's me and I want you only Don't turn me home again I just can't face myself alone again and Don't run back inside you know just what I'm here for <laughs> Well you're scared and you're thinking that maybe we ain't magic in the night you ain't a beauty but hey you're all right oh and that's all right i say boy that's all right with me
0: so should we get into the live section can't wait okay let's like tori start with a little earthquakes tour. unexpected she didn't perform it at all in 1992 that we have on record she didn't i'm willing to say well, you never know. You never know. There's half the set lists are missing, yeah. David. You're willing to make these absolute statements. Someone has to. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. Are you telling me to stop being so wishy-washy? I'm a Pisces. All you Piscians really put your foot down on things. Mm. So let's skip to the 1994 tour. In 1994, Tori Amos performed I'm on Fire 11 times that we know of. The interesting thing is she opened nine shows with I'm on Fire. She used it as an opener. And of those nine shows, she played eight of those shows in October. What do we think
2: that means?
0: Something hit her at that time.
2: What happened? She was on fire. Yeah, she was. Yeah. I miss when the opening of Tory shows was unpredictable. I love the bookends that she, you know, that are kind of standard now. Mm-hmm. But I loved when she would walk out and open with a cover mm-hmm. or sugar. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I love that. And I also miss when she would walk out to a backing track. Like, why mm-hmm. does she just walk out to silence and applause now? It's kind of weird. <laughs> like, give me son of a preacher man. What would you have her walk out to now? I'm not sure. But not I, think really sets, I think that really sets the tone and yeah. creates a moment rather than just like, here I am. Here I is. Yeah. I think in October of that year and early in November of that year, she'd broken up with Eric. She was
0: flirting with other men, right? There was other things going on. We're not diving too far into her personal life, but she'd already gone through a breakup. So she was feeling ding, 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 desirous. Mm.
2: So maybe that's as simple as that. She was on fire for someone. I, I get it on all fronts. And especially in October, I'm always feeling desirous. Mm-hmm. That's the but time, you're feeling time, desirous for pumpkins. But it's the same. You think <laughs> that's not a sexual experience for me? It's when I really come alive. I'm at the height of my powers. What? Oh, okay. Let's listen to one of them, shall we? I'd love to. I'm anxious to see how the song evolved. Because I especially associate it with dewdrop Drop In. So... Mm-hmm. I want to hear some pink pink versions. So the tour
0: debut was October 11th, 1994 in Bloomington. As far as we know, there's no recording. So we're going to go straight to the first recording that we have, which is October 13th in Toledo, Ohio. Toledo. Let's listen. <laughs> things i like to play the first time she ever does something live that we have a recording of i like to play the very beginning and you
2: noted that it's in a different key it sounded like it but the more it went on i'm not so sure it's really great she comes in attacking the song yeah it was pent up Mm -hmm. and then she played it quite often after this i cannot handle under the pink tour voice it was so pure it's really unbelievable i cannot handle
0: Under the Pink tour talkers. (laughs) I know. So loud. Right in the background. She's amazing.
2: She's She's amazing. amazing, You know what? Can you see this? Are you getting this? This is amazing. What do you think? We all know she's amazing. That's why we're here. Pipe down, Lorleen. I think the arrangement is, you know, it stays pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. I think she eventually drops the he's, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word (laughs) to describe them. In this case, as the performance goes on, if you want to listen to the whole thing, you should it matches pretty much exactly what bruce springsteen does Mm -hmm. in the original version and she Mm -hmm. drops that eventually and she she like more so riffs on the piano but she doesn't do that vocally so right right let's read this quote this is a quote from the daily collegian by joshua caterlin on october 24th 1994 you want to read this david from her first song a cover of bruce springsteen's i'm on fire to her last winter amos brought the audience into her own world playing a grand piano adorned with stuffed animals amos showcased her personal style Her version of I'm on Fire, while owing the words to Springsteen, was uniquely her own. Lengthening her vocal notes, her voice breathy and then strong, Amos managed to take what had been an affecting song and make it even more emotional. That's what she does with all her covers, right? I get so emotional.
0: Here is another performance of I'm on Fire from 1994. This is October 21st in Orono, Maine. one more from 1994 this is from November 3rd in Ottawa just a stellar recording to do drop in? Yeah.
6: 1996,
0: do drop in. Torium is performed I'm on Fire by Bruce Springsteen 12 times. 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 I would have guessed way more. Me too. Yeah. Um, this is the tour debut of that song. This is New York City on May 14th.
2: Do you want to talk about this next version? I think this might be my favorite. Really? You'd think it would be bolder, which is also great. And I have a little story about that, too. But I think this is my definitive do drop-in performance. There's just an improv that feels so authentic in the moment. And she stands up and plays her heart out. And she's doing that thing where she, like, tilts her head back from the mic. And she's just kind of you know breathing it into i don't know it's so good and i miss those moments so much agreed and you got to go to the video to really see why
0: but we'll link to it in our show notes on our website songsoftoriamis.com this is springfield illinois on july
6: 27th
0: summer too (laughs) it sure was she was on fire this is Boulder Colorado November 11th 1996 the last show of tour right yeah the final show
2: story you had about that, well, David? That's, uh, she only played it 12 times, which again, I would have guessed way more. And given that this was the last show of such a definitive tour, do you, don't you think this is kind of an interesting choice for her to play a cover, specifically this one? I don't think it's a surprising choice that she would play a cover, but yeah, maybe this one. Well, she also played Landslide towards the end, so right. that made sense to me. Right. But my, <laughs> my memory is someone that we sort of kind of knew at the meet and greet meant to ask her for fire on the side no and got nervous and said i'm on fire and then they were like oh crap that's not what i wanted (laughs) and she played it anyway not that she maybe wouldn't have because she'd been playing the song but it's still pretty funny i mean there was no chance at that point in time that person was ever gonna get fire on the side at the Uh, last show you don't know that i do know that no
0: because of what happened with god and what happened with tallulah no tornado yeah but
2: the only thing she was doing at that point was ATN.
0: You never know. She could have been in a headspace where she she thought she was about to take two years off. All um, right. Well, unlikely, but we'll never know. We'll never know. Shall we move on to Plugged? Yes. Well, we can't. She uh, didn't do it. We're skipping God. right over 98. You're not getting shocked today, David. <laughs> but she did do it in 1999 on the Five and a Half Weeks Tour at the end when she was doing her solo promo tour. One time? On December 6th in Washington, D.C., she did it at HF Esmus Holiday Nutcracker.
1: This is... Um... A little song. I went to see this guy when he was in town about twenty years ago. And um here it is. If I um if I were in the hair pie, I think I would really sing a song to a lot of my women friends.
5: <laughs>
4: hey, little girl,
0: It occurs to me, just listening to her talk about it at the beginning, that this might be a song, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, this might be a song that she sings as a woman to her women friends, which maybe changes, will he do to you the things I won't do, into this is a song about desiring your women friends or desiring women, but not being sexually involved with them. Just a thought. Strange. So strange. So strange. She did it three times that tour, and she debuted it October 30th in New Orleans, Louisiana. The day
2: before Halloween? Tori gets me, I'm she telling you. you. She was like, David, you're on fire. You're on fire. She was doing so that my thing, girl. finger spread <laughs> right, her eyes back right. and forth, which does not translate well to a radio show. <laughs> it doesn't translate <laughs> over the air, but I see what you're doing. <laughs> she
0: did it three times that tour, and you want to hear the interesting thing? Always. She did it at the show right before... I show up on tour and then didn't do it at any of my shows <laughs> and then did it in December again in November, like after I was gone.
2: I'm on fire, was avoiding you. I know. She's like, here comes Eve, play it cool. Shh. I have enough fire for both of us.
5: Mm. <laughs>
0: You want to move on to Scarlet's Walk? Yes. Sorry, we can't. Why not? She didn't do it at all those oh, years. Oh, come on. Don't <laughs> those pull many years. lot of pianos <laughs> bullshit with me. But she did do it on the Lot of Pianos tour in 2003 <sighs> In Las Vegas, Nevada, with a gorgeous intro and an improv in the middle, and wow. Ooh, we must have been at this show. I know I was, right? We were La- there too? This was Las Vegas, Nevada, July 31st, and I was not at this show. Not? I was not. Why not? Because in 2003, the real reason I wasn't there was because I was working at the uh, Hangar Theater in Ithaca, New York, and my job ended the day of the, the day before the Rochester show, and that's where I started the tour. Rochester, but I wouldn't have gone to Vegas anyway because in 2000, I had lived in Vegas until 2001 and I hated Vegas. So Mm -hmm. in 2003, I was not ready to go back. All right. Anyway, I did it for you. You're welcome. Thank you. Four times in 2003, here's I'm on fire in Vegas. This is I'm on fire at the Mix Fest on October 3rd in Boston. This was after the whole tour was over and then she did this one show. A show of like covers and angels came out, it was lovely. A mm. lovely little show, a lovely little show. You want to move on to 2005? That was our sound cue, that was just fire burning. Oh, sorry, you know why? Because it's so hot, it was so hot that summer, it's so hot right now. Tori did the song three times in 2005, and this is her in Perth, Australia, on the tour debut of the song on May 15th. I'm done. David, I want to take you on a journey. Let me sing to you. Let me take you on a journey. I've got no place to be. I'm going to take you to Philadelphia, April 11th, 2005. Here she is performing, not I'm on Fire. Here she is performing Streets of Philadelphia in Philadelphia. Hmm. <laughs>
6: Some reflection in a window, and I know my own face. Brother, are you
5: gonna leave me?
6: We.
0: David in the American Doll Posse Tour 2007. And Tori Amos performed this song one time in Portland, Oregon on the 4th of December, and here it is.
2: I was at that show. She only played it once that tour, and I'm not sure if it was a request, but it seemed strange to me like it had been absent for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a treat, because I've always loved this cover. You were in Portland 07? Uh Uh-huh. That's great. Now we're in 2009, David. The Sinful Attraction Tour.
0: It was sinful and... Attractive. It was attractive. She did it one time in Canberra, Australia on 15th of November 2009. Let's Mm. listen to that.
5: (laughs)
2: out in 2010 on her little summer tour david i know italy sure she's probably like i'm all eat pray love right <laughs> i'm just gonna play i'm on she's fire. in her sensuality yeah. maybe we should eat pray love too because i googled i'm on fire looking for something else earlier and it located an i'm on fire pizza very close mm. to the drive mm. all night studios so mm. maybe we should order i'm on fire pizza i don't eat cheese for later in this episode but you can pick it off and just oh, eat great tomato sauce crust <laughs> just because you're lactose intolerant doesn't mean we all have to suffer yes it does this is July 13, 2010
0: in Milan or Milano. <laughs> 2011 she did it one time on the night of hunters tour in vancouver british columbia canada on december 13th and you know what david this late in the game and there's no recording nice job canada it's very rare that there's a song that she can do since like what 96 98 seriously that there's not that a recording of cracks
2: yeah we won't be too hard on them though they gave us you can't do that on television <laughs> You know what those Jerry's mean. I'm unrepentant.
0: No. (laughs) It means that we're on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour. Oh, right. 2014. Remember menopause. I do remember menopause. On this tour, she performed I'm on Fire twice. And one of them was in Rotterdam, the Netherlands on May 26th. Well, this might be a song that's eluded me forever. I don't think I've ever heard this one live but I can recall. Yeah, Um, because she didn't perform it at all in 2017 on the Native Invader tour. Mm -mm. And that's all she wrote to date. You want to take a stab at how many times she's performed it live, David? Um, 45. 41. Really? Very close. Were you cheating? No. You weren't looking at the notes? I don't cheat. While it seems like she's put away I'm on fire... She's been playing Streets of Philadelphia with more regularity. There was a one performance in 2005 that we played earlier, but she's played it on each of the last three tours. Streets of Philadelphia, she played it in Philadelphia on August 10th, 2014 and here's that.
6: Ain't no to me Just you and her, my friend, My clue
0: A year later, basically, August 1st, 2015, and this is in Stockholm, And here she is performing it for the last time so far. Uh, This is November 7th in New York City,
5: 2017.
0: I think it's really beautiful and kind of touching in a lot of ways that the song of desire has been sort of put away and been replaced a little bit with this song of reflection and looking back on your life and it just is kind of emblematic of where Tori is these days so that's just my observation
2: Well, another stone turn. We're one step closer. One step closer to what? To the next season proper. Oh, to, from the Choir Girl hotel yes. season? Yes. Oh, that's very exciting. I know. Are you excited about it? I actually really am. Me But I'm going to enjoy each step along the way. Each era track? Yeah. Great.
0: <laughs> I'm excited too. I can't wait for Choir Girls to start, but I too am just going to live in these moments because we'll never have them again. Mm-mm. I hope that we did Bruce Springsteen justice a little bit, and I hope that we honored the Bruce fandom and the Tory fandom, and I hope we just did everything right. Me too. But yeah, as we get Closer to the choir girl, I could just feel the excitement brewing. The rhythm. The rhythm. The heat of the tropics. The heat. It is feeling kind of humid in here. He's on fire. I am. Um, if you like what we do, you can consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com songs of Tori Amos, where we have plenty of different tiers for you to join. We have Tour All Year, which is our private podcast specifically for $5 Patreon supporters and up. We have our Drive All Night Plus feed, which currently is, we're redoing all of our Little Earthquakes episodes. So you can go there for $10 or more, or just pitch in anything if you want to help us out. And we so much appreciate the support. It helps keep
2: our little show on the air. Right, David? Yeah, and there's a tear for everyone. Do we call them tears in your hand? David, that's brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to keep that. Tears in your hand. Tears in your hand. Um...
0: You can also support us by following us on all our social at Songs of Torremus. You can send us an email, songsoftoriamus at gmail.com. Go to our website, songsoftoriamus.com. Sign up for our newsletter there. You can call our hotline, 323-296-9955. And of course, you can listen to our daily Toriamus show. It's called Never Shut Up. You can find it anywhere you find this podcast. And we pull songs from the Torical, the bag of all Tori songs. And we try to give you a little reset for your day every day. So Never Shut Up, tour all year, drive all night, drive all night plus tour all night next year when Tori's touring god <laughs> we're exhausted i know well we have burnt out
2: probably not <laughs> what, what do you mean it. by talking about her endlessly all day every day <laughs> every i day. don't see possibly how <laughs> <laughs> i mean we still have it and I, we've been doing
0: it for 25 years yeah so that's true i think we're good we just kind of put a show around it <laughs> thank you to everybody out there for listening to our show head over to our website head over to our patreon patreon.com songs of and become a supporter today